0: what we're going to be looking at today is the f train now that sounds provocative but it's not it's actually extremely practical because here's the question that we ask if you're turning to john 15 who else needed a pen you're turning to john 15 the question is okay we need to abide right he is the vine we are the right we are to abide in him for apart from him we can do what not a thing And anything that we think we are doing with our lives or we think that we have accumulated in our lives is actually zero and nil in his sight. It has no worth whatsoever. We often parade and we're proud about our accomplishments and those types of things. Jesus' words are not meant to be mean, but they are meant to strip us of pride. And they are meant to strip us of self-sufficiency. Because the self-life is the greatest enemy to the Christ life. The idea of asserting self and thinking somehow I am going to do something. Guys, one of the greatest realizations we could ever come to in our lives is that we can do nothing apart from Him. Not a thing. Not a thing. See, this is going to be a fun sermon today. Because all nourishment that we need to produce something worthy doesn't come from us it comes through us we're the branches he's the vine he has authority see people don't like that he has authority and so the nourishment comes from him into us and then through us to bear fruit he is the source he is the only mm, that matters I don't know what else to say. But that's what it is. That is the Greek. Mm. He's it. He's all. This is why all things will culminate in Him because apart from Him is nothing. Jesus Christ is everything. And He is trying to communicate this principle because when the disciples run across hard times, they're going to realize that all the strength they could muster, strategies that they planned out, wisdom that they had learned over the years, is going to matter for not, if it's not, Jesus Christ in the center, exalted, trusted, and we're dependent upon him. That's it. I've told you guys this story before, but I think it's very. it was a very massive teaching moment to me in my life, and it was sad. But I went one time to visit my grandfather in, in the nursing home. And he had one of those mini-strokes while I was sitting there talking to him. And his tongue is swelling up and all that. And I can't do anything. I can't do anything to help. Because when you see someone suffering through a situation, you want to jump in. How can I fix this? How can I make this better? How can I? And we think that somehow we're Superman, which is an extremely fleshly paganistic philosophy. If you think about it, why is he coming down on superheroes? Because they're teaching us godlessness. That's the reason why. They're not telling us that Christ is all in all. But here I am watching this horrible thing take place in front of me, and I can do nothing. To me, that was an excellent illustration for life. Apart from Jesus getting involved, I can do nothing. Now, if you look over John 15 real quick, we talk about abiding, but the question that we need to answer is, okay, we need to abide. How do we abide? Well, first, let's let let's give some incentive. Would you say that any risky decision you're going to get involved in has to have some incentive to do so? Would you agree? Okay, if you notice, if you take your notes and you look to the second, and by the way, there are three typos in my notes. I apologize for that. Uh, if you look uh, on the, I know, you guys expect better. Uh, If you look at the second page down at the bottom, and you could just scan through John 15 of what we looked at. Notice that I've given you six incentives that we find in these 11 verses of why we would want to abide. Number one, because we will bear fruit. Only by abiding will anything productive come out of our lives. And it's not just something that's productive and neat and ooh and ah maybe we can take it home and name it something it's not like a pet it is actually god doing god things through frail and broken individuals that are of eternal worth in fact let me show you something interesting sorry mitch i'm gonna throw all kinds of things at you this morning get ready go down to verse 16 of chapter 15 i was talking with art about this this morning You did not choose me, but I chose you. For what? Watch this. Why were they chosen, the eleven? And appointed you that you should go, or would go, and bear fruit, right? What were they chosen for? To do what? To bear fruit. And notice what it says. That your fruit would what? Remain. That word remain, don't understand why they translate it like that, it's the exact same word, abide. Abide. It's the exact same word used up in verses 1 through 11 abide. That your fruit would abide, that it would stay, that it would stick around, that it matters, that it's got eternal worth and value. And notice that, not just that, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. In other words, the remaining, abiding, fruit producing Christian has an incredible open landline to the Lord himself. Effective prayer life. You wonder sometimes if your prayers aren't doing much, you don't see God doing much, ask the question, am I abiding in him? Am I remaining in him? Well, I think so, but how do we do that? We're going to get there, I promise. Notice the next one. Effective prayer. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me, am I, what is it? Words, that's significant. Don't lose that, guys, because Jesus is developing this for us. My words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Ask whatever you want and he will grant it. If you abide in him, notice there's conditions, and his words abide, remain, stay put, don't go anywhere, don't jump ship, solidly planted in us good benefit. How about the next one? The Father is glorified. This is the way the Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. When we are bearing fruit, it's not just fruit in and of itself, or fruit that remains. The remaining, the abiding of the fruit, actually gives greater glory to God. Why is that? Does anybody know? From us bearing fruit, why would God get glory from that? Well, because we can't do it on our own. So it demonstrates that He's doing something through us, Yes. That means that God is using the mundane for the highly significant. He is taking the inferior things of creation that are tainted by sin, and he is doing heavenly work through his people. Now that's a good thing. When you are bearing fruit, it is a testimony that out of all of the other philosophies in the world that you could have trusted in for decision-making, you trusted him. You trusted his word. You said, regardless of how this goes down, I am sticking with the Lord alone. In doing that, no one can take that away from you. And God receives greater glory. Why? Because God's right. That's a problem everybody has today. There are many truths and there are many ways that lead to God. No, only God is right. Only His Word is correct. How about this? Come into being a disciple look at fifteen eight. my father's glorified in this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples not prove that you're really saved but what it is is you're coming into being you are growing and maturing in being a disciple you're growing up in your faith anybody hung out with baby believers yeah the biggest thing you want for them is to grow up right that's the biggest thing that God wants for us too Let's all grow up. Let's become more self sufficient. Let's become mature and active so that our go to response is not doubt and lies and deceit and back talking and backbiting and negative attitudes and complaining and murmuring and all this other stuff that we're warned about in the New Testament. No, instead, my go to response is I got to trust God in this situation. That's the idea of the maturing Christian. How about this? The joy of Jesus in us. Now, stop for a second. It is 9.41 in the morning. It is hard to find joy. Is it not? Sometimes. An hour ago, you were getting ready to come to church, weren't you? If you're trying to get kids in the car, you know it's even worse, don't you? You heard that alarm go off. You reached over and you smacked it and you said, Joy! Joy! How many people did that? Exactly. See what I'm saying? Joy is hard to come by. And this whole world system is set up so that Satan steals the joy that's available to us. Abiding doesn't look for joy in other things. It is a recipient of joy already provided by Jesus. So Jesus' joy is in us. Now, it's not only that, but look at the next benefit. I love this. Our joy. Not just we get Jesus' joy, but then our joy is made what? Full. It's not just trying to find little scraps of joy. Sometimes we sometimes joy is like looking for change in the couch cushion, isn't it? It's around here somewhere. You know? I always thought that was funny, Methodists losing their salvation. It's like keys. It's around here somewhere. Oh, that was funny. But anyway. <laughs> File that away. (laughs) Let's move on. Joy. Your joy made full. Anybody ever gone to the fridge to get something to drink, and you realize that somebody else had drunk a lot of what you were going? You were going for orange juice, and there was enough in there to get your teeth wet, and you thought, "Mm, I wanted some orange juice. No, this is a full thing of orange juice. It's full. It is all the way to the top. In other words, if it's full, it's not lacking. Everybody see that? You're not found wanting having it. It's all the way that it could be. Well, man, I can't think of anything, but would you agree that these are good reasons to abide? This is good production to have. Yeah, this makes it worth it. So here's a question. How do we do that? First, let's talk about an attitude of somebody abiding. Take your Bibles, turn over with me to Philippians 3. What does it look like for somebody to abide and have the attitude and the perspective of an abiding believer in Christ? Someone who is thoroughly ingrained in their walk with the Lord. What does it look like? Sometimes I have read the Apostle Paul, and maybe you've done this too, and there's a part of you that goes, man, I wish that was true for my life. You ever done that? Do you realize that that is a confession of unbelief? Do you realize that we are saying about Apostle Paul that somehow he had a connection with Jesus that's just not possible for us? Do you realize that that's a lie? That the same relationship that the Apostle Paul had with Jesus Christ is available to you right now? See, that's the interesting thing about abiding. Abiding is not like I need to find the next step to step up on so I can get into this relationship. No, you're already in the relationship and everything has been fully, completely, perfectly supplied for you. It's just taking advantage of what he's already given you. I've heard some people say, well, are you talking about like a second blessing of the Spirit? No, it's not a second blessing of the Spirit. It's embracing the first full blessing that you got the moment you believed in Jesus. There were so many things that took place at that moment. And sometimes we make the mistake of trusting him for our eternal destiny. And he won't help us in this eensy-weensy little thing that just happened. Unbelief. Unbelief. So when we sit here and we read the Apostle Paul's life, we say, gosh, I wish I was, you know, who could you be like if you want to be like anybody in the Bible? When we say Paul, that's unbelief too, because we were called to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ we missed the guy and went for the little guy um not the way to go now let's be honest also if we've read the apostle paul we've looked at some of that stuff and we've said paul's crazy any of you ever read paul and thought that he's just crazy good jesus wants you to be crazy crazy for him so we're going to see what crazy looks like are you excited He said, I just got back from a family reunion. I've seen enough of that. All right. (laughs) Chapter 3, verse 7. I won't tell your family you said that. Verse 7. Watch what he says here. But whatever things were gained to me. Now, real quick, that word gain is talking about the idea of being advantageous. It's the things that are to advantage to you in life. Those things, look what he says after that. Those things I have counted, I have declared them to be, I've considered them as loss for the sake of Christ. As damaging is what the idea is. As a disadvantage, they get in the way. Does everybody notice what he's just done? He's given you two polar opposites. When I looked at my life, lived in the flesh and in the world, all the accomplishments, all the things I thought were awesome, worthy, beautiful, amazing, incredible, that I took joy and, here's the key word, pride in, I am realizing that all of those things became a way of reincarcerating myself from knowing fully what is going on in the joy and fullness to be had in Christ? And therefore, I need to look at all these things and consider them a disadvantage to the ultimate purpose of what I should really be aiming for. Sometimes the Christian life is like jarts. Anybody ever played jarts? Not darts. Jarts. Lawn darts. Yeah? Zach's proud of that? Excellent. Do you call them jarts up here? Okay, good. Praise the Lord, we got something going on. Cornhole, anybody play cornhole? Okay, just making sure. Got more in common than what I thought. Okay, so, you can throw it, right? But the goal is to get it in the center. How much time do we spend in the center? Not much. And we had every intention in the world in getting there, didn't we? That's the only place that we wanted to be. But we kept missing the mark over and over and over. A lot of times our Christian lives are like that. The thing that stands in our way of getting in the center is distance. Everybody see that? The things that we consider advantageous or gain in this world actually serve to create greater distance between us and Christ. So what do you do? You get rid of the distance. And you draw near to God because he's promised us in James that he will draw near to us. Guess what? bullseye every time every time anybody watch bozo grand prize game you always wanted to smack those kids when they started out didn't you you're like of course you got the first bucket give them the prize already move on to the second bucket anybody could have went right that's easy start them back here make it more if i was on there I, see what i'm saying we get real prideful about it exposing a little bit of my childhood to you guys however when you're up front and you're on the line, you've removed all distance. You have no problem hitting the bullseye every time. In fact, it becomes easy, doesn't it? it? becomes easy. Why is that? No obstacles. So everything that Paul considered gain, advantage, I mean, think about this guy. Training to be a Pharisee, whoa, that's pretty cool. High ranking, everybody's going to come to me for answers. I'm going to make decisions. I'm somebody, right? And not just anybody, I'm a Jew. We got the oracles of God. God used to talk to us personally. He gave us his law. We have Moses. We have Abraham. We have King David. We have all the prophecies. We know all these things. All of those things were supplemental to Christ. They were not... Christ. Everybody see that? Could he brag in his upbringing? Could he brag in his heritage? I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Could he brag the fact that he's a thoroughbred Jew who loved to keep the law, but he's also a Roman citizen? Well, yeah, look at this. I got all these advantages. All of it is disadvantage for the sake of gaining Christ. Now, does this mean that Paul wasn't saved? No, it means that he wanted more. Watch this, verse 8. More than that, I count all things. Advantageous or not, all things. How many things? All things. Go home, sit down on your couch, look around the house and say, all things. If you do that, I'll give you a bonus. Not that I can do that. But all things to be lost in view. Now watch this of the surpassing value, the superiority, the excellency is the idea here, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. In other words, by seeking to walk with Him in this way, and considering everything that I thought was great as a loss before Him, it's actually cost me more things. But that's okay. All of those things that it cost me were actually all the things that stood in between he and I. So I'm okay with losing them. I've suffered the loss of all things. Watch this. And count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. It's trash. Everything that was accumulated as accomplishments are garbage. You guys aren't ignorant. The actual word for this is what? Some of you got it in the King James, don't you? Refuse. Dung. It's poop. We can say poop. It's acceptable. That's what it is. That's how strongly Paul feels about it. It's a waste. It's a waste of life. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. Guys, think about this for just a second. What if we pursued a fellowship experience with christ with the same zeal that we do everything else in our lives we get so oh i got to do this oh i'm preparing for this weekend i'm going to take off a vacation well we're saving up money for this time well we're going to and we get everything in order and it's got to all be perfect you type a start freaking out at this moment don't you this this this, this 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 this. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Right? You know, Cuz you don't want it to get messed up and if it gets messed up, oh, what if we pursued Jesus like that? What if a greater intimacy with him is what we were working for all the time? I didn't need to go anywhere else but the feet of the Savior. That's where I wanted to go. That's where I planned to go. That's where I budgeted to go. That's where I set aside time to go. That's where I made sure that I was off work to go, was to the feet of the Savior. Are you saying vacation is sinful? No. I'm saying that if planning for your vacation has become more exciting than Jesus Christ and a greater relationship with Him, there's a problem. It's a heart problem, and at the center of it is unbelief that needs to be cured. Because somehow we don't believe that Jesus is everything He says that He is, because if He was, we would all not even be able to sit down right now. Jesus is that awesome. Sometimes we don't believe it. See, Paul's crazy because he gets it. Because he says, everything I've got here actually stands in the way of Jesus. So get rid of it. In other words, Paul took all his stuff to St. Benny's and dropped it off. And he moved on with life. Because he didn't want anything to hinder him. Nothing. Why is that? Because whatever was gained here, he realized that it kept him from abiding. apart from jesus he can do what nothing so the things that keep him from abiding are actually nothing because they keep him from producing something everybody see that okay now watch this he wants to gain christ verse 9 and may be found in him now the work salvation crowd goes ha ha see you have to have good works in order to be found in him that's not the goal he is talking about in his daily life watch this that i may be found in him Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. In other words, not able to boast in myself because I'm just a good Christian. If your Christianity is a checklist, you missed it. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not whether I send more or less day in and day out. Christianity is I'm looking to Jesus more. And everything that flows out of me gazing upon him fondly, intently Continually, that flows out of it, that becomes Christian obedience. Why? Because the center point is where it needs to be. Everything else just happens. He's just bringing it out through you. It's not, I got to try better. I got to do better. I got to try harder. I need to think better. No. Jesus knows all that stuff. That's why he had to save us. He knows we need to do better. But our attempt to go about it is believe in him for salvation and get our foot in the door, right? And then, okay, Jesus, sit down. I got it. I'll take care of it. Yeah, I'm away. Uh-oh, don't stop me. No, no. I still won't to listen to Bob Seger. Leave me alone. Anybody here like Bob Seger? The silver, and the silver bullet man? Yes, that's who I'm talking about. Thank you for showing your cards, Pete. All right. And may be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, real quick. I don't know that Jesus cares if you're listening to Bob Seeger or not, okay? If it's sinful, burn it. If it's okay, use your own discretion. You're free in Christ. If it hinders you from Jesus, it's rubbish. Get rid of it. Moving on. Sorry, I got to clarify that because everybody's like, he's a legalist. I'm going to hell. No, you're not. (laughs) I like old time rock and roll and the devil's going to cook me. No, that's not what it is. (laughs) Everybody calm down. Don't lose your mind. It's okay. You are free in Christ to listen to Bob Seger. But you have to ask yourself, just because it's lawful, does that mean it's beneficial? Moving on. But that which is through faith in Christ. In other words, my own works are going to amount to nothing. Whatever righteousness I think I could conjure is actually an unrighteousness. I can never be righteous in my conduct and behavior. What I need to be done is when people look at me, they find me in Christ and they find me living this life by faith. And notice what he says, by faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes comes from God on the basis of faith. This isn't talking about positional righteousness. This is talking about how we live our lives every day. Do you live your life by faith? Do you live your life with the Son of God at the center of it? Because His opinion matters, because He's God, because we can't find any falsehood in His Word, because He has emphatically spoken, and He sets a standard of truth. And He has provided a grace in Christ that has ushered us out of darkness and into life to live a brand new life that we can never live without Him. That's the idea. And Paul is sold out to it. And he is explaining to them, Anything that may seem great, it's not if it's Christless. It's got to go. Now, watch this. He says here, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Notice it doesn't say death. He's not talking about that I may know him in the forgiveness of sins. He already has that. That I may know him in his resurrection, that I may know him in the new life that he lives, so that he will live that life through me in fact take your um, notes here turn past attitude and perspective turn over on the next page after that you will notice up at the top it says Paul's desire is to know him everybody see that look at the second sentence because this is a smart Greek guy and that's not me Woos notes this well writing the tense causes us to translate to come to know by what experience this is an experiential knowledge of what it is to be walking with christ notice this paul wants to come to know the lord jesus in that fullness of experimental knowledge which is only wrought by being like him he wants to know also in an experiential way the power of Christ's resurrection. That is, he wants to experience the same power which raised Christ from the dead, surging through his own being, overcoming sin in his life, and producing the Christian graces. This word no isn't just, I think that's true. No. It is, I want to walk so so closely with Christ that he can't help but to use me. I want to experience Jesus. A lot of us know Jesus, but have you experienced Jesus? Are you walking with Him? Or do we sit here and we read the Bible and we go, man, that's a lot of really freaky, supernatural, weird things that are going on there. And then we sit here and we think about our lives and we go, huh, is this all there is to life? Or is there not more? I promise you this, and I'm not charismatic in any form of the word, You can tell by my sulking demeanor. But Jesus wants to do supernatural things through us. They're just not all about putting on a show and drawing attention to us because we're not the focus. It's about seeing fruit born through our lives that we know came from nowhere else but him. And because we trusted him over all things, we are useful in his hands to produce that fruit. I think you'd be surprised at what he wants to do in each and every person here. Notice what he says after that that I may know him experientially and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship. That word fellowship is a great word. Koinonia is what it is in Greek. And it's the idea of a joint participation. Jesus wants you to participate, is the idea. He wants you invested. He wants you playing along. He wants you active in the game. But we can't do it of our own. Everybody knows the showboat guy doesn't make it, does he? What's the guy that the Packers last year had the chance to win the game? They kicked it off, and he should have took a knee in the end zone, and he thought, I'm going to run it. Remember? And he was told, take a knee. Anybody remember this? And Yes, we remember it. We're still mad about it now you're making me cry preacher (laughs) (laughs) and what happened to him that week because he didn't do what the coach told him to do (laughs) traded gone sorry pastor steve i don't have any bear stories (laughs) if you do we're not gonna let you tell them. (laughs) he's gone traded why let's be honest he didn't abide did he everybody see that well this is what i think ought to be done famous last words and he was gone notice this the joint participation of his sufferings guys i don't want to belabor this point too much but it's true christian life calls us to suffer it does a lot of times we kind of throw our hands up like i just don't want to get involved no being involved is what the lord uses to demonstrate to us The sufficiency of Christ. We're going to look at that at the end. But we won't even begin to understand this idea of Jesus' sufficiency in us if the experience of suffering is not there. Guys, it's okay to suffer. It's okay to be ridiculed for your faith. It's okay to be persecuted for your faith. In fact, in Matthew 5, we're told great blessing and reward will come to us when people slander us because of His name's sake. That's okay. The problem is, is we let fear control our abiding that's the danger it's either fear or pride that usually tends to be the two pride because i want to be a lot fear because i don't want people to think i'm less that's usually what keeps us from abiding let's move on and get get get, get with this this is interesting the fellowship the joint participation of his sufferings being conformed to his death in other words dying to myself so that he can live through me guys one of the greatest things that could ever happen in our walks with Jesus is that we would just get out of his way. Just let him do what he wants to do. and Get out of his way. Stop standing in front of him. Stop telling him no. How many of you have had kids? i got to hit it, man. And they turned three. And all of a sudden, the word no, they're just fluent in this word. So much to the point where you're kind of wondering whether you ever should have even told them this word to begin with. Do you want this? No. You want to go there? No. Well, come here. Let me. No. You want it? No. Hey, no. Are you having a good day? No. How my kid get so grumpy? Probably from my sulking demeanor. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, a lot of times we act like three-year-olds with Jesus. No. No. Go here. No. Roxanne, would you say we came to Jesus? Lord, just don't send me to Africa. Where are you going in August? What was once a no is now a yes. And you're looking forward to it, aren't you? That's Jesus changing the heart. That's Jesus saying, you know what? If you just, and this is how it is with Nathaniel too, if you would just stop telling me no for a second, you would realize I'm getting ready to put a Reese's peanut butter cup in your hand. But because you said no, it costs you the cup. Everybody see that? The benefits are worth it. Beautiful verse, verse 11. Notice what it all culminates in. In order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, this is an interesting concept. A lot of people fail to look at the Greek of this. Pastor Steve, if I butcher this, just tell me tomorrow. (laughs) The regular word for resurrection is anastasis. 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 All right, that's the word resurrection. But what's interesting about this is this has the little preposition ek on the front of it, ek onesthesis, Say it, Pastor Steve, onesthesis, I want to say Anastasia, but that's Disney, something's missing there, yes it is. Ekonostasis, say like anyway. This isn't the traditional word for resurrection. It's got the preposition ek added on it. Whenever you add ek to something, it's the idea of up, out of, out of something. So he's not just saying that I'm. Well, it's not just that. In order that I may attain the resurrection, if it was the rapture, it would be the fact that he's unsure whether or not he's going to qualify to get it. That's not the idea. And some of the work salvation people have said, see, if he doesn't live a worthy life, he might not get this resurrection. And so Paul lived in that fear that he better be obedient because even Paul couldn't be sure whether or not he was saved. That's garbage theology. Paul is talking about something greater, deeper, more profound. That at the resurrection, when we are resurrected, that I would not just be resurrected, but I would be up out of that resurrection. In other words, it's not just erection. It's a ah, resurrection. It is a great and glorious resurrection. It is a resurrection worth having because he did away with the things that were once considered gain, counted them lost, and wanted to do anything he could to be found in Christ at all costs. That's the idea. Bless you. excellent here's a question is Paul crazy he's crazy for the Lord don't you think we could all stand to be that way close your eyes for a second and ask yourself the question what would it look like if we were all that way does everybody just for a moment can you catch the possibilities of what that would look like of what he would be doing through us imagine those relationships that you may think are have some friction within the body of Christ would be smoothed out quickly. Why is that? Because you're not worried about parading your rights, you're worried about Jesus being made much of, being worshipped, being pleased, exalting Him. That if need be, taking the loss and suffering in that situation, that we're willing to bow ourselves to that and as the world says, be messed over so that Jesus would be made much and we're not trying to just parade who I am in every situation. It is a selflessness. What's the greatest enemy of abiding? The self-life. The self-life is the greatest enemy of the Christ life. And so what happens is, is abiding is actually calling us to dependency. Or, if I could cuss for just a second, submission. Submission is the greatest Christian cuss word ever. Because it freaks us out. You know why? Because the person sitting next to you, regardless of who they are, or even across the room, is better than you. All the time. That's the mindset that Jesus wants in the church. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about it. Before we ever get to wives submit to husbands, nobody bothers to read the part right above that. It's actually talking about the body of Christ submitting voluntarily all the time to one another. You're always better than me in every situation. You know what that calls for? Humility. Humility is nowhere found in the self-life. And so this idea of abiding... In Christ is a complete, full dependency on Him. Now, here's the question. We'll answer it now. How do we do this? Yes, I need to abide. Yes, I see the incentives to abide. It sounds great. Paul's a little crazy, but I wouldn't mind being there in my own Christian walk. How do we abide in Christ? Well, turn to Romans 1. And I want to look at a passage, but I just want to create something conceptual for you. After you turn to Romans 1, if you want to look through your notes and you're going to find the little section that says, how, how do you abide? And I want you to flip over. There are three facets that when they are in place and in the right order, you cannot help but to abide in Christ. Three facets we're going to start in verse 18 mitch i'm sorry now i don't want you looking at that yet because i want you to, to to look up here i know it's hard look up here i know yeah you got to look at me there are three facets faith sorry facts faith and feelings in fact you may notice your little diagram here of the f train The lead car, the engine, are the facts. God has spoken. God's Word is truth. The Word of God is truth. If God has said something, you have to deal with it. I mean, wasn't that one of the basic things we started with, is the idea that God has spoken into history. And if He's spoken into history, you've got to have a response. Because now you're culpable if he's setting a standard you are responsible if he has revealed himself truth is not just a concept i know i've said this a lot but i want you to get it because i i thoroughly believe we don't i don't fully get it sometimes but whenever jesus said i am the way the and the life he's the truth jesus is truth truth is a person It is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the pinnacle revelation, representation of God. Philip, have you been with me so long you don't understand? Whoever has seen me has seen who? The Father. They're indispensable. I and the Father are one. Completely compatible. Truth is a person. And many times in various ways he had spoken to us through the prophets. But in these last days he spoke to us how? You know this? Through his son. Hebrews 1. Jesus is everything that God wants to say to you and me and the human race. Everything. Truth is up front. That is the fact of the situation. If what God says is true, if who God is is true, then his word is the final authority on everything. See, so this is where everybody gets messed up because it entails the idea of authority. There is an authority, and everybody's got an authority problem now. I saw a thing where substitute teacher in Boston or something was, was petitioning. I don't even remember where it was. It might not have been Boston. Boston's usually where bad things happen, but was petitioning there in Boston about the discipline here is out of control. Somebody's got to do something about it. I'm verbally harassed and ridiculed and cussed at and things thrown at me all the time by students and all this when I come in here. And you don't pay me enough to deal with monkeys throwing stuff. You just don't. It's a zoo. So now the school board's going to reconsider and bureaucracy, right? Everybody's got an authority problem. That's the problem. There's an authority problem. Jesus is truth. He's spoken. He's got something to say. Everything in the Old Testament is preparatory of Him. Everything in the New Testament is explanatory of Him. So the full scope of God's Word has got something to say. And good grief, could we not use it more today in our culture? Now, when we're talking about abiding, you have got to have a foundation. No foundation, no power. Anybody start building a house and didn't take take care of where you were going to stand first? That would be silly, wouldn't it? We used to build forts like that, right? Oh, this fort's so cool. Put sticks across there, covered up with leaves because you didn't want the big kids tearing it down. You put briars across there when they did that to get their hands. Anybody do that? I was an evil child. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, you build it, and then all of a sudden you get inside it. Man, this is so cool. And you realize that your feet are sinking in the mud underneath you. This fort's stupid, you know, right? All of a sudden, what we thought was great is not. Why? Didn't have a foundation. Didn't have a foundation. Every train has got to have something with power up front. The facts are the power of your F train. The facts are going to lead you into a direction. They are going to be what propels you forward. And here's the thing. This is what's interesting. You have nothing to do with the facts. They are. They're not what you want them to be. They're not what you think they ought to be. They're not how you would change them or if it was up to me, I would have done this. No, all of that is stripped away. The facts are simply what is true. And the only thing that is true is Jesus Christ and his word, period. This is the only thing that is true in all of the world. Well, isn't such and such true? Yes, and it came from God. Give him credit. The second part of it is your faith. Sorry, real quick. With facts, here's the question you're always asking. What has God said? Any situation that you deal with moment by moment. Abiding is a moment by moment thing. So the first thing you want to ask yourself when you're faced with a situation where you may not be abiding, what does God's word said about it? What has God revealed? And therefore that needs to be the lead car because that is the car that has the power to take me through this situation. Number two, faith. Faith is I'm confidently convinced of something. Do you believe it? Do you believe what God has said about that situation? See, this is what's so difficult about the whole. Do you know that you're saved? Yes. Are you secure in that? Yes, I am. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross and he's given me eternal life. If I believe in him, I have eternal life. Excellent. Now, what about this much smaller problem in your life? Man, I'm not sure. He who gave him, who he, he who gave us his son, why will he not also with him? freely give us all things. Romans 8.32 We either believe that or we don't. Now here's the thing. Faith can be either belief or unbelief. The reason why unbelief is unbelief is because you're not believing in the Word of God. You see that? You're believing something else. But it's negated because the only thing that has power has been pushed to the side. Look at Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed, presently speaking, from heaven against all ungodliness. 118. Sorry, did I tell everybody? Sorry, 118. Romans 118. Let me back up. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who suppress the truth in what? Unrighteousness. Suppressing the what? What does it mean to suppress? What's it mean? Hold to hold down. To cover up. To keep it from having the effect that it needs to have. And how do they suppress it? Unrighteousness. Sin. Unbelief. Unbelief. Sin and unbelief suppress the righteousness of God when God is clearly revealing himself because of his wrath with people been suppressing his truth. Look what it says after that, verse 19. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. God has made himself known. God is there. So you're sitting down as a high-valued scientist who's got an amazing tenure and you come across the idea of unraveling the DNA strand You are actually having to convince yourself that such meticulous orchestration of fine tuned machinery and minuscule views is a product of chance and not the divine, intelligent, incredible work of an infinite creator who has always been and always is. Why would you make that choice? Why would you unbelieve those facts that are presenting themselves? Because now you're accountable. There is a God you have to answer to. So notice, it's revealed within them. For God made it, what? Evident. He didn't hide. God's not a hider. He doesn't do that. Well, I'm hoping God will come out at some point. He's there. Look at verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible, that's not seen, attributes his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. They're evident. Have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made, the creation, so that they are what? Without excuse. They have no defense for not trusting God. So to say that faith is going to be exercised but not exercised in what God has said is to actually not believe it is unbelief why because you've assumed that something else is more factual than what god has said that's dangerous ground now you say well that's silly no one would do that are you sure how many people read your horoscopes this week how many people picked up cosmo magazine while you were waiting in the grocery line how many people wanted to find out if this person's right for you my love test what is that stuff man It's all stuff we're looking at to hopefully better our lives and dictates and I'm just trying to find out more about myself. This is just me time. Keep Jesus out of my me time. You were created in the image and the likeness of God. You learn about you by studying God because studying about God tells you of you and tells you of your great need for him. You don't need that trash. If you think that it's gain, it's actually loss. It's keeping you from Christ. Burn it. Burn it. Do you believe what God has said? The question to ask in the F train at that moment is, here's the facts of the situation, what God has said. Do I believe it? Do I believe that it's true? Now, here's the amazing thing about that belief, that faith. You didn't do anything. Everybody see that? You just asked yourself what was presented to you. Is it true or not? Do I really believe that it's true? Notice that faith simply rests behind the engine with power, behind the facts, and lets the facts carry them on forward. It's not you, I need to believe more. No, you just need to believe what God's already told you and accept it as true. And if you don't accept it as true, you're actually in unbelief. It's not that you need more faith in order to believe. You just need to believe like you did for salvation What he's already telling you about daily things in our lives. Now, the third one is feelings. Feelings, nothing more than feelings. (laughs) Scary, isn't it? That's why I don't have a microphone. (laughs) Somebody's looking over at me like, give that boy some lessons. Feelings. You know what's sad? Where is feelings in this process? Where's it at? The end! It's the caboose! Do you realize that predominantly in American Christianity, the caboose is what's leading the charge? Feelings. Well, I just don't feel that God would work that way. Honey, bless your heart. That's okay. But what God has said is this. See, what you find is that feelings are actually a good way of rationalizing sin. Let me give you an example. Understand this. Let me say this real quick. I'm not saying that feelings are bad. Feelings are not bad. God is a feeling God, yes? Genesis 6, 6. He was sorry that he made man on the earth when he saw the wickedness that they were capable of doing. God feels. Jesus wept. He didn't weep because he thought it'd be fun to cry. He wept because he was sorrowful. When he came upon Lazarus and he saw that his friend was dead, the whole tomb thing, it got to him. We're creating his image and likeness. So the emotions that we experience are actually a gift from him to be able to express ourselves. We're not, we're not knocking that. What we're saying is they don't belong up front. And if your feelings are leading the charge, you know what you got? 15-year-old girl, amen. So notice that. <laughs> let's play with you guys. It's good. But now let's put it together. Think about this real quick. Let me give you a, a scenario. I don't know if I'm saved. Well, what do the facts say? God loves you. God gave His Son. Whoever believes in Him has what? Everlasting life. Now here's the question: Do you believe that? Everybody see? I established the fact, and now I've asked the question about faith. Is your faith car latched onto that fact, or is it on another track somewhere, going off into the distance? <laughs> is it going to Madison? Is that what's going on? <laughs> Choke. That's a joke from a long time ago. Don't even get offended. I had somebody here one time got offended. It was silly. Don't get offended here. We're all friends. But here's the thing. If it's latched onto there and you believe it, does everybody see that, well, I don't feel saved. Stop. Where do your feelings go all of a sudden? To the back where they're supposed to be. I I don't feel saved. I don't know that I'm saved. You're having these doubts. Doubt is a feeling that you have. It creates great anxiety in our lives. It causes us to be hindered in what we would do and not so quick to get on it and move forward. And all. It paralyzes us and Satan loves to use doubt against us all the time to keep us tranquil. He hates active Christians. However, if we want to move forward in abiding and submitting ourselves, what we find is, is we need to stop everything and ask, What has God said about this situation? He has said that he loves me. And if I believe in him, he gives me eternal life. That eternal life is forever. So I either believe that, I'm either in belief or I'm in unbelief. If I am believing that, the question I ask is, how should I feel now that I've believed in what God said? If you sit here and you ponder for a moment that you are eternally secure because of what Jesus has done and not what you do, you stop for a second. How does that feel? it feels good doesn't it what do you start saying it's no longer man i just don't know if i'm saved i don't feel safe all of a sudden is i'm saved praise god i'm saved what happened there well our trains were out of whack our cars were out of whack for a little bit so i need to abide in christ how do i do that what is his word said do i believe what his word has said and because i believe what his word says all of a sudden my feelings flow out of the faith that is channeled or sorry the facts that are channeled through my faith and the feelings are being generated by the facts instead of me just being down on myself and in my head all the time everybody see this now let me give you an example turn to second corinthians 12 we'll finish up here you knew i was going long don't play And next week, what we're going to talk about is actually the problems that people deal with. And we're going to apply the F train to five or six different problems that people deal with. Self-doubt, condemning thoughts, addiction, all types of things. We're going to actually apply it. We're seeing how we make this happen. 2 Corinthians 12. Don't miss what Paul says here. These are not just words. Paul was given the opportunity to see things that very few Christians have ever seen, if any. He was caught up into the third heaven. It says that he saw things that were inexpressible. If he opened his mouth to tell you what he saw in the throne room of God, he couldn't even put words onto it. It left him speechless. I know some of you wish I'd get caught up to the third heaven sometimes. (laughs) But here's the thing, John got to see it and he wrote down what he could in Revelation 4 but you can tell he's struggling because it's just amazing. Amazing. Now, watch this. Verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. What is exalting yourself? What emotion is that? Pride. For making much of myself. Look at what I saw. Yay, look at me. I'm Paul. I've seen cool things, right? Notice he stops that. He says here, There was given me a thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to torment me. The idea is to strike me. To treat me with violence. To keep me low is the idea. To keep me humble. To keep me from exalting myself. Verse 8. Concerning this, I implored. I called upon. It's very interesting. The word there is parakaleo. It's the same place where we get the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. I called upon God. I summoned God. I summoned the Lord three times that it might leave me. Verse 9, and he said to me, now your words should be in red. If they're not, write your publisher, okay? But look at this. My grace is sufficient. What does it mean to be sufficient? It means lacking in nothing. My grace is sufficient for you. Why? For power. Talk about wanting power in the Christian life. Power is perfected, completed, made mature in what? You know what this says? It says that Paul needed to get out of the way in this situation so that Jesus could meet his need. But he was suffering. You're right. He was. And no matter what he did to to try to quell it, stop it, resolve it, answer it, fix it, charge it, whatever, it wasn't going to work. The only thing that was going to work was understanding that in this time of weakness, this feeling that he had, the truth of who Christ is and his person is sufficient in him. The power that he needed. Now here's the thing. Either Paul believes that or he doesn't, but it's going to dictate a lot about how he lives his life. Look what he says. Verse 10, Therefore, I am well... What does it say? Oh my gosh, there's, we're cussing all over the place in Christianity, aren't we? Submission content? I am content. I don't want anything. I don't need anything. I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That isn't something that Tim Tebow just writes underneath his eyes when he goes out to play, guys. He is saying that in the frailties of his human life, because he is trusting in what God has said, that he is believing the truth that has been put on him, regardless of his physical condition, his train is charging forward because what has the power is up front. And because he believes that, all of his feelings stream out of the back of it. They're not the lead car. You try to put the feelings car up there, it has no power. It's not going to go anywhere but you put feelings where they belong in the back flowing out from faith because faith is in the facts of things. And next thing you know, you have spiritual dynamite of people who are persevering because of the strength that Christ provides, the power that Christ provides. Guys, life is hard because sin is real. But life is manageable and eternity is victorious because my Savior is great. That's the difference. Are we believing what he said? We're going to talk more about this next week let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. May you be glorified. We love you so much. And Father, there's probably a little bit of exposure of, well, I don't know that I believe him for that. Well, I don't know if I believe his word for that. Father, all that needs to be corrected. You have never lied to us one time. So help us, Lord, to be accepting of your truth and your goodness. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.